I think something that's helpful for this second reading from St. Paul to the Philippians is to put it into a little bit of context, right? So we live in the 21st century, so we hear St. Paul's letters in a particular way, right? With a particular way of looking at life, with our own life circumstances going on around us. And our life circumstances are oftentimes, almost always, much different than the life circumstances of the people who received the letter, right? So that doesn't mean that we can't get something from it, and in fact, hopefully today we will. Uh, But at the same time, I think it can be really helpful to try to put it into its proper context, almost as a way to, like, okay, I can understand more fully what St. Paul was doing and what the Philippians were doing, and, and then I can try to bring that into an application into my life in the 21st century. So the, the, the city of Philippi, um, it, had a, it had a variety of people. At least some of the people there were retired military people. So they were veterans, right? And, and to be a retired military person back at the time of St. Paul, it, it meant something at least a little bit different. So it, it still means something today, right? For a person to live uh, their entire career as a military person, right? And there's, there's great honor in that. And we, we want to honor those people, absolutely. For, for the people of Paul's time, there was this sort of added element to it in that if I'm serving in the Roman military, the, the Roman army, that means that I pledge my life to Caesar and to Caesar alone, right? I, I pledge my life to Caesar as the absolute authority, not just over my life, but, I, but he's, he's the king of everything because after all, we live in the Holy Roman Empire, right? Or we live in the Roman Empire, which is at that time, the most powerful empire, right? So it, it really meant something. Today, in, if you serve in the military, I, again, this is a, a good development, that you can pledge your life to serving your country while also being a Christian, right? While also pledging your life to a, a higher authority. But, but back then, like, th- that wasn't something that was really common to do, to, to pledge your life in, in, in two different ways, right? So to be a Roman soldier meant to be a retired Roman soldier meant that you had pledged your life for like 50 years to Caesar as king and you served him faithfully and then this guy Paul comes along right and and he starts to preach in a kind of way that demands conversion that demands pledging my life no longer to this Caesar but now demands pledging my life to a different king, a king who is supreme, Paul says, supreme over Caesar, right? There, there's like a sense of culture shock there. Like, wait a minute, you want me? I, do you know who I, like I served my life for Caesar as king. And now Paul comes in and he wants me to, to pledge my life to a a different king, a king who he says boldly is greater than Caesar. 
right? And, and so that's like a, a really big decision for a person to make, for anyone to make at the time of Paul, but I think especially for a person who was a retired military man, to, to make that decision that I am shifting my allegiance away from Caesar and toward Jesus Christ as the absolute king. And some people, of course, did this, right? Otherwise, St. Paul wouldn't have anyone to write to. But he, he wrote to these people in Philippi. So you can imagine then, right, continuing to imagine being in this position. You're living in this retirement community, right? You've got your little, you know, your RVs and your little RV park, and you all gather for a happy hour every evening, right? And, and, and soon, one of your neighbors comes to you, and he says to you that he's no longer pledging his life for Caesar, but that he's now pledging his life for Jesus. And for you to be a, a faithful patriot of the Roman Empire, you're thinking to yourself, what the heck are you talking about? You're a fool. Don't you know that Caesar is king? Don't you know that there, there is no king but Caesar? What are you doing? And so the, the, the result naturally, and again, this was the case for anyone, whether you're a military person or not, but, but the result for, for these people was persecution. Right? Their friendships began to fall apart, probably feeling isolated from from the people around them, right? They were no longer invited to happy hour at the retirement facility. And so you can imagine that being a lonely, incredibly lonely feeling. Sure, maybe you've got the other, the other people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as king. Maybe you still have them that you can gather with, but it's just not the same, right? Like, because not everybody not everybody sees the truth of the gospel. Not everybody believes in Jesus Christ as king. Not everybody is ready to shift their allegiance. And in fact, the ones who are not ready to shift their allegiance are going to become even more staunch in their allegiance to Caesar. And so therefore, they are going to shun anyone who is going to shift their allegiance. And so you can imagine being one of these people who've, who's now surrendered his, his or her life to Jesus Christ as king. You can imagine the different thoughts going through their minds. Right, sure, for, for some of them, maybe they were just firm and confident in it from the beginning. But I can imagine, for a lot of them, there was this sort of question of, am I sure about this? Is, is this really all worth it? Like, is it worth the division? Is it worth the loss of friendships? Is it, is it worth being shunned from the social life of the place where I'm living? Of missing out on all these deep relationships? You know, like I served next to these people for years. And now I'm... I'm not even welcome in their presence. I just don't know if it's worth it. 
you can imagine these thoughts going through these, pe- these people's minds. And then you get the letter from St. Paul. St. Paul, who, by the way, is writing the letter to the Philippians, he writes from prison. He has been imprisoned because he's been preaching this gospel of Jesus Christ as king. And so as a member of the Christian community at Philippi, as all these different thoughts are going through my mind, to then receive this letter from this man, Paul, who helped convert me to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I now receive the letter and it's like, oh my gosh, he's in prison. He's he's in chains because of the gospel. Right, so there's something about that, even just the fact that Paul would write a letter to our community. There's something about that that I think is even, it's just simply encouraging, right? Paul is in prison. He could easily just remain in his misery. He could easily just sort of like put in his time and just sort of think only about himself. And yet, from prison, he's feeling that he's thinking about me and my community. And he thinks so much about us, and he's so concerned about us that he writes a letter to us to encourage us, in fact. Like that in itself is like, well, if he's in prison and he's remaining faithful to the gospel of Jesus, I can do the same thing. If he's feeling, like imagine how isolated Paul felt being stuck in a cell by himself. I, at least in my community, have the other Christians, the other people who have shifted their allegiance. And so if he can do it, so can I. And then what's more, right? He is a pillar of this Christian faith. He is the one who has introduced me to Jesus Christ as King. And so whatever he says, I want to learn from him. And I want to try to imitate his practices as well as I can so that I can be as firm as Paul is in Christ. And so what is it that he writes? This man who's imprisoned, this man who has been isolated, this man who otherwise also has been, he's been stoned, he's been persecuted far more than I have. So what is it that he's teaching? What is it in his life that he's got going on that makes him so firm and steady in his relationship with Jesus? And of course, there's the whole letter to the Philippians. But today, we highlight this. St. Paul says, right, imagine, St. Paul from prison, writing to a group of people who are probably being persecuted because of their belief in Jesus. And what does St. Paul say? He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Like, oh, this is, this is, and this, brothers and sisters, is where I think we can 
So we can see this in this context and it can be so incredibly powerful, right? These people who are being persecuted for their faith, their allegiance to Jesus Christ as King and St. Paul in his wisdom, right? Revealing what it is that makes him so firm in Jesus. St. Paul says to them, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice, right? Somehow they're rejoicing in Jesus even though it seems like life is falling apart for them. Somehow, St. Paul says, when you can rejoice in the Lord God always, when life feels like it's falling apart, somehow God will give you a peace that doesn't make sense, a kind of peace that even though if your life is falling apart on the outside, on the inside, you will recognize and feel that somehow God is holding you together. That somehow, even though life is so messy on the outside, on the inside, you will be firm and united as one with Jesus. Something about it that just doesn't make sense that you and I, on our own, we can't really comprehend. And yet, at the same time, Paul is revealing the secret of remaining firm in Jesus, which is to rejoice in him always. And this is something that I think is really hard for us. I was thinking about this. Just think about a kid, right, who gets exactly what he wants for Christmas. The exact present that he asked his parents for or that he was hoping for. How easy it is when he opens that present to rejoice in the giver. How easy it is to say, thank you. Oh my gosh, this is exactly it. But then to take that same child and to give him a gift that he doesn't want. And when he opens up that present, there's no way that kid rejoices in the giver of the gift. This isn't what I wanted. Why'd you give me this thing? Right? And so for us, many times in our relationship with God, when life is going well, when it seems like we're just sort of smoothly going along and our relationships are good and our health is good and, and the weather is good and the Vikings are winning, you know, whatever, like it's in those moments that it, we can just so easily rejoice in God's goodness and just say like, oh, isn't God so good? He's so good. But what St. Paul is getting at, and what I want to get at, and what I think the Lord always wants to get at, is this question of, what happens when all of that falls apart? What happens when you get sick? What happens when you develop cancer? What happens when your relationships fall apart? Your relationship with your spouse, you have a big fight, or maybe the relationship falls apart. Your relationship with your kids, you're getting in arguments all the time, you just can't seem to get along. What happens when, when your loved one dies, whether expectedly or unexpectedly? What happens when it just becomes super apparent in your own life that as you're getting older and your body is falling apart and it's just like, I'm gonna die too. What happens in your relationship with God in those moments? Because brothers and sisters, it's our response in those moments 
that are going to go a long way toward determining whether our faith is as strong as St. Paul, the pillar of faith, or whether we're going to be tempted to just sort of shrink back from Jesus. And our faith won't actually be strong at all. There's this really great practice that St. Paul is encouraging here, which is to rejoice in the Lord, to give thanks to him in all situations, in all times. I would say, especially when things don't go well. This is something that over the years, I have slowly, very slowly tried to incorporate in my life. Every time I'm with little things cut off in traffic or interrupted throughout the day, or sometimes in bigger things, getting sick or uh, having a relationship not go well, or, or whatever it may be, anything in between, trying to incorporate in my life the first words out of my mouth in those moments to just simply be, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. To rejoice in his goodness, even when it feels like he's actually out to get me. When it feels like my life is falling apart on the outside, to let my first words be, thank you, Jesus. Because I know that even though on the outside it feels like things are falling apart, I know, Jesus, how good you are. I know that even if it feels like you're out to get me, I know that you're not. Because I know that you don't die for nothing. I know that you don't give me life for nothing. And so I just want to pause and rejoice in this moment, even though it's really hard to rejoice. But I want to do this because, Jesus, I believe that when I do, I believe that when I remain faithful to you as king, and when I rejoice in you as king, that somehow, even though my life seems like it's falling apart on the outside, that somehow, on the inside, Jesus, it's in this very moment that you're going to hold me together. That you're going to guard my heart and my mind. And it's in that moment that my faith can grow more firm and more steady. It's in that moment that I become more like St. Paul, with my allegiance set fully on you, Jesus Christ, as the King.